Welcome again to Pumping Up with Hans and Franz, the informative training program for the serious weightlifter. Alright, welcome, we're back, alright. Once again, I am Hans. Yeah, and I am Franz, and, and we, we are, are here, here to pump you up. <laughs> All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome. Uh, this is episode 35 of the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. I am Andrew for America. And I know two podcasts ago, I said that the next podcast was going to be more optimistic and upbeat, and I was going to pump you guys up with some motivation. Uh, and that's what we're going to do today, people. Today, we're going to pump you up. Um, <clears throat> before we get started with the show today, though, I do want to make uh, a few corrections and I want to touch on just a little, a few recap points um, from uh, previous uh, episodes, previous shows that I wanted to just touch on and, and bring you current with, uh, give you some more information about certain things. So, um First things first, in a previous podcast, uh, when I was talking about Tool, I called the bass player Justin Chamberlain. His name is Justin Chancellor. I don't know why I always have called him Justin Chamberlain. I've done it for 100,000 years. It's just like a stupid mental block for that word. I don't understand why. Anyway, so uh, if anybody caught that and laughed at me, feel free, laugh at me. Uh, I will be the butt of the joke because I made a bonehead move again, as per usual. You guys are starting to see, I'm sure, at this point, if you're still listening to my show, it's kind of just part of who I am. I'm kind of a heart on my sleeve, fly by the seat of my pants, you know, um, maybe irrational sometimes, You know, because we're, uh, we're irrational creatures that think we're rational. I mean, I think I'm pretty rational, but uh, I don't know. Edward Bernays would probably uh, tell me otherwise. Um, so that's that. Um, and then I also wanted to talk about, I think I said something about, you know, these cryptocurrency craze is going on right now. And, you know, it's just... It's crazy. That's all I'm, I'm hearing from people. And I said something about how it's gambling and how, you know, in a previous podcast, I said, like, Elon Musk can say he's not going to take Bitcoin anymore, and boom, it tanks the value. And then the next day, he says, you know, oh, now I'm going to start investing in Dogecoin or Dogecoin or whatever, however you pronounce it. And then that value goes up. And then I think Peter Schiff, I heard Peter Schiff say that, you know, this is <laughs> this is a Ponzi scheme, people. This is... <laughs> this is like Amway. Like, hey, go get your buddies. Uh, get you know, see if you can sign up five people to do the same thing, and then it, it'll bring us so much value, and you'll move into the next tier. And I mean, <laughs> did we have we uh, learned anything from Bernie Madoff? People, have we learned anything from the existence of Social Security? <laughs> Social Security is a big Ponzi scheme too. Don't know if you knew that. Don't know if you knew that. <laughs> Uh, so here we go. I follow the Ethereum page on Facebook, and someone posted this. I found it to be quite interesting. Bitcoin is centralized. We are losing the economic Cold War to the banks, as if I mean people, as if you were going to win that. It was only a matter of time. The World Bank co-opted it and defanged it during the block size wars 
in 2017. Bitcoin XM was the real Bitcoin. SV is a scam, but it was taken down through DOS attacks and social suppression. The Lightning Network founded by a Rothschild banking heir is how they centralize a decentralized network. By limiting the tech, so a centralized side of chain is necessary for it to operate. This is why banks started accepting Bitcoin and stopped suppressing it in 2017. Pretty sure Satoshi was murdered by the bank sometime prior to all of this. And I'm not going to talk about that story. You can... If I just piqued your interest in it, you can go look it up yourself. Very interesting how people that are uh, affiliated with the Rothschild clan uh, end up dying horrible deaths. If you got, you know, (laughs) if you got something they want, if you're a scientist with cutting edge technology, they're going to get it. Uh, the uh, superconductors, the the guy in a previous podcast, I talked about the plane going down over Singapore. Uh Uh-huh. There's some theories out there saying the Rothschilds wanted to corner the market on superconductors and other big club members, I'm sure. So, people, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If you want to invest in cryptocurrency, be my guest. Have fun. You got it, but you know, you got to look at it like uh, like I look at gambling. If I'm going to go gamble with 500 bucks, I've told myself already I'm willing to lose 500 bucks on absolutely nothing, on fun, on attempting to make money. That's what gambling is. It's a chance. There's, you know, yeah, maybe there's some skill involved. You know, maybe you can follow these markets long enough to know when to get in, get out with stuff. Maybe. Okay. I know there's people that are making money. You know, I get it. Cool. But I don't know. It's gambling, people. Don't 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 start putting some of your retirement money into crypto. If you got a financial advisor out there telling you that shit, you better second you better think you better second guess that. You better think that through. Just saying. If you're thinking long term, I'm just saying. Okay, so that's that. Uh, what else did I want to talk about that I um, didn't? Um. So corrections. Oh yeah. Okay. So back from back uh, in the Ronald Reagan speech, uh, time for choosing episode. Uh, I talked about hey and you two he, that part where he said hey and you two or you two can be a Bobby Baker, and I talked about who Bobby Baker was. Um, well, there was another line in that um, speech where he m- mentions a guy named Billy Saul Estes, and it, it, and he mentioned it with regard to. Uh, the farmers, and you know, remember that part where he's talking about how much of the farming economy uh, is controlled by the federal government, regulated, and the rest, the other three fourths, is out on the open market, making you know exponential returns. Uh, it, uh, people, I, I could go on and on and on and on and on about this, but uh, I didn't know who Billy Solestis was, and so I looked him up, <laughs> and uh, you know, this is going to be further proof that uh, LBJ was a piece of shit, and. A scumbag, and I can't believe you people voted for him, or your probably uh, parents or grandparents voted for LBJ in a landslide. Because uh, you know, America Americans have a very storied history of voting against their own best interests, <laughs> and that's you know that's because of the propaganda. It's effective, very effective stuff. 
Um, but here, check this out. So here's a little thing about Billy Solestis. Uh, I'm gonna play the clip first, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna educate you on who this guy is. Okay, here we go. There's been an increase in the Department of Agriculture employees. There's now one for every 30 farms in the United States. And still, they can't tell us how 66 shiploads of grain headed for Austria disappeared without a trace, and Billy Solestis never left shore. <laughs> So, you know, so that's the clip from that episode where he mentions Billy Solestis in his speech. So here, here we go. I'm going to start introducing you now to a new character here on the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. Billy Solestis was an American businessman and financier best known for his involvement in a business fraud scandal. <coughs> Excuse me that complicated his ties to friend and future U.S. President Lyndon Johnson. <laughs> uh, in the late 1950s, Estes was heavily involved in the Texas anhydrous ammonia business. He produced mortgages and non-existent ammonia tanks by convincing uh, local farmers to produce them on credit sight unseen, and leasing them from the farmers for the same amount as the mortgage payment, paying them a convenience fee as well. He used the fraudulent mortgage holdings to obtain loans from banks outside Texas who were unable to easily check on the tanks. At the time, the United States Department of Agriculture began controlling the price of cotton, specifying quotas to farmers, the program included an acreage allotment that normally was not transferable from the land it was associated with, but which could be transferred to the original land was taken by eminent domain. Do you know what that means, people? Do you know what that means? That means that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. These politicians, especially these Democrats, and the Republicans too, but I got a special hatred in my heart for some of you lefties and some of you Democrats because you just refuse to see reality when it stares you in the face. This is just another, oh, the great society, the war on poverty. Let's regulate an industry because we're trying to uh, prevent, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to keep you safe and secure, Right? We're trying to prevent externalities, right? Well, how come there's always a fraud scheme behind it by your favorite Democrat politicians? Huh? Huh? How come it every single time? Every time. Every single usurpation into the, the, the private sector by government always is combined and fraught with fraud. Top to bottom. People, <laughs> I don't know how many... Freaking stories I got to tell you guys before you start getting it through your heads. Estes worked out a method to purchase large numbers of cotton allotments by dealing with farmers who had been dispossessed by land through eminent domain. He convinced the farmers to produce land from uh, him, to purchase land from him in Texas and transfer their allotments there as a mortgage, uh, with a mortgage agreement delaying the first payment for a year. <laughs> <laughs> then he would lease the land and allotments back from the farmer for $50 per acre. And, and you know, th these are your buddies. These are the buddies of your favorite politicians, people. These are the people funding them. 
getting in bed with government, private business, choosing the winners, Orwell, Animal Farm. All animals are created equal, right? All animals are equal. But some animals are more equal than others. Remember that? In 1962, after information came to light that Estes had paid off four agriculture officials for grain shortage contracts, President John F. Kennedy ordered the Justice Department and FBI to open investigations into Estes activities and determine if Secretary of Agriculture Freeman had also been compromised. Congress conducted hearings on Estes' business dealings, including some that led to Vice President Johnson, a longtime associate of Estes. People, Billy Saul Estes did 15 years for mail fraud, and or was convicted and sentenced to 15 years for mail fraud, served seven in Fort Leavenworth, military brigade, uh, brig, um, the brig prison, military prison. Criminal, swindling, fraud, interstate transportation of securities taken by fraud, conspiracy, mail fraud. <laughs> Yet one of America's 10 outstanding young men voted uh, in 1953. United States Junior Chamber of Commerce. People, how many stories do I have to tell you that your, your richest, most powerful, most influential people are also, coincidentally, some of the biggest philanthropists who are getting, you know, winning awards... And behind closed doors, they're the biggest piece of shit human beings you've ever seen in your entire life. Nineteen sixty-three, Estes was uh, tried and convicted on charges related to fraudulent ammonia tank mortgages, both federal state charges. Sentenced to twenty-four years in prison, state conviction was later overturned by the Supreme Court. Estes versus Texas. His appeal hinged upon the allegedly the alleged impossibility of a fair trial due to the presence of television cameras and broadcast journalists in the courtroom. Uh, what? He prevailed by a 5-4 to four vote. He was paroled in 1971. <laughs> they got... Oh, people. I don't know. He was convicted of other fraud charges, served four more years, blah, blah, blah. A guy named Oscar Griffin Jr., journalist, uncovered the stock tank scandal, later received a Pulitzer Prize for his articles... Uh, in a weekly newspaper in Pecos, Texas, uh, to improve his 1961 candidacy for Reeves County School Board, Estes offered the local newspaper large advertising buys in exchange for not opposing him. <laughs> that This is how business is done in the United States of America, people. When big business gets in bed with big government. When Griffin died, this journalist that won the Pulitzer Prize in 2011, Estes remarked, it's a, it, it's a good riddance that he left this world. So apparently Billy Saul Estes was still alive in 2011. Apparently. Um, Estes was, you know, talking shit. And then here, oh, here we go. Here's even more. Allegations linking uh, Lyndon Baines Johnson, Saul, uh, Billy Saul Estes, to the assassination of uh, John, uh, John F. Kennedy. <laughs> so there's also links from Billy Saul Estes uh, and LBJ in, to being involved with, no, having previous knowledge of. 
possibly colluding. You really think, uh, remember from uh, the, Bill, uh, the Bill Hicks uh, end of last episode, you know? You know, it's really accurate because Oswald isn't in it. <laughs> the book, Suppository Building. <laughs> Still think Oswald killed JFK people? <laughs> oh, man. I, I, people, I'm going to go on and on and on and on with this stuff. I'm going to... Any of you naysayers, any of you, you doubters out there, any of you Democrats or, or, or progressives that want to call bullshit on the stuff that I'm covering in this show... Be my guest, Andrew for America, 1984 at gmail.com. I invite you and I look forward to debating you without ad hominems, without slinging mud, without name calling. Don't think you're capable of that, my left winger friends. Some of you are. Most of you aren't. Recently, you know, speaking of you know, Democrats that occasionally see the light. Uh, I'm going to play you guys a clip uh, real quick before we get into the pump you up stuff. Uh, this is a recent uh, clip from Bill Maher, uh, who I have a very complicated relationship, much like Noam Chomsky. But this clip, <laughs> this clip I can't believe aired on Bill Maher's show. It actually gives me hope for the guy. There are times where Bill Maher, 70% of what comes out of that guy's mouth makes me want to slap him in his face. The other 30%, I'm kind of like, all right, at least you're not a total dipshit, idiot, moron, fucktard. Left-wing, progressive, dipshit, moron. Uh, <laughs> so... Uh, here we go. Without further ado, take a listen to this. Bill Maher actually making sense for once. You know the reason why advertisers in this country love the 18 to 34 demographic? Because it's the most gullible. Yeah. A third of people under 35 say they're in favor of abolishing the police. Not defunding, but doing away with a police force altogether, which is less of a policy position and more of a leg tattoo. 36% of millennials think it might be a good idea to try communism. But much of the world did try it. I know millennials think that doesn't count because they weren't alive when it happened. But it did happen. And there are people around who remember it. Pining for communism is like pining for Betamax or MySpace. So when you say, you're old, you don't get it, get what? Abolish the police and the border patrol and capitalism and cancel Lincoln. No, I get it. The problem isn't that I don't get what you're saying or that I'm old. The problem is that your ideas are stupid. <laughs> if you say, let's eat in the bathroom and shit in the kitchen. Yeah, that's a new idea. <laughs> But I wouldn't call it interior design. <laughs> you think someone 80 is hopeless because they can't use an iPhone? Maybe the one who's hopeless is the one who can't stop using it. Mm. You think I'm out of it because I'm not on Twitch? Well, maybe I get Twitch, but I just think people watching other people play video games is a waste of fucking time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> 
20% of Gen Z agree with the statement, society would be better off if all property was owned by the public and managed by the government. And another 29% say they don't know if that's a good idea. Here's who does know. Anyone who wasn't born yesterday. Oh my goodness, people. That, those are the, my favorite words that I've ever heard come out of Bill Maher's mouth. And I really hope, I know I'm mean to you progressives and you Democrats on the show. I know. And, and I'm sorry. You know, I, I probably should be a little bit kinder and gentler with you people. I know. I know. I understand. I, I understand how you people operate. It, you know, oh, excuse me. Jesus. We, I'm drinking beer again, people. And, you know, I, I want to be nicer. I want to be nicer. But the future, these this next generation people... You know, being, being what they're being taught in schools, common core math, critical race theory. I mean, they're putting it in kids' books now about, oh, gender's a fluid thing, blah, blah, blah. Like, I'm not trying to discount anybody's uh, view of their, themselves. I'm not trying to discount the way you view yourself. I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with you, okay? Some people say you have gender dysmorphia, and it actually is a, a syndrome of some sort, like a mental uh, health issue. Who knows? I don't know. I don't have a problem with you people at all. I love you. I have friends that are come in every shape, size, uh, every every race, color, creed, sexual orientation. I have friends from uh, from all walks of life, and you know we have conversations. and And I understand. I, I hear where people are coming from. I get it. Okay, I get all that stuff. Okay, but there has to come a point. Where you say to yourself, this is something that I have to deal with and I cannot expect the rest of the world to change for me. You can't expect that and you definitely can't force people to change, to believe in something that they don't believe in. You have to meet people where they are. You have to be accepting. You have to be tolerant. You have to practice restraint when you feel the urge to uh, run your opinion by someone and criticize them or ridicule them or make them feel less than or make them feel like they're not worth as much, that, that their life doesn't matter as much. Why? Why can't you just accept the fact that there are different people in this world? Do you really want to live in a world where everyone's identical? Everyone's exactly the same? Where you're a number and not a name? Is that what you want? Do you want Hitler's Germany? Do you want concentration camps? Progressives, leftists, Democrats. Your ideas are leading us there. Faster than any Republican or libertarian, or conservative thinker, or constitutionalist, or whatever. You can't keep acting like the right is just the devil, and you you can't even have a conversation. And I've talked about it before. You people on the right can't keep saying, oh, I don't even want to have a conversation with people on the left because they're just batshit, crazy, nutjobs, blah, 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 blah. Both sides have to come to the center at some point, eventually. Whether you like it or not, if you want to make progress, if you want to defeat the divide and conquer agenda, if you want to join forces and start collectively pointing our finger at the true enemy 
of the lower and middle classes of this country, people. Your enemy is the big club. The sooner you get that through your thick fucking skulls, the better this country is going to end up being for everyone. I'm going to take a break, and when I come back, it's time to pump you up on the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right. Welcome back, people. Um, Here we go. I'm going to start playing some clips. We're going to talk about Courage. We're going to talk about motivation. We're going to talk about effort. We're going to talk about desire. We're going to talk about not making excuses. We're going to talk about stopping and smelling the roses occasionally in this life. We're going to talk about believing in yourself. We're going to talk about not playing the victim, not giving up, not giving in, not letting malevolence enter your heart. We're going to talk about being courageous enough to make fruitful use of your freedom. We're going to talk about developing yourself. We're going to talk about developing your capacity for love. First, I want to start with a clip from Rob Dial. And he's a pretty motivating guy. I'm sure you've seen his stuff on the social medias, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And uh, in this clip, he's going to talk about courage. And I, and I really enjoyed this clip. And uh, here we go. Uh, without further ado, it's time to pump you up, people. I will motivate you. I will destroy your ego. And then we're going to rebuild you piece by piece into the best, perfect version of yourself. It has to start inside first. You're running from feelings. You're running from emotions. In order for you to make real, deep, lasting changes in your relationships, in your life, realize that somebody needs to be the first to have courage to wake up, to open up, to step up, and to be vulnerable and have the courage to say what needs to be said. Don't be afraid of being looked down on. I had so many friends that didn't know my father passed away, didn't know my father's an alcoholic. I never talked about it. And I went, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and start saying it to people. If I can be open, honest, and vulnerable, then people maybe can listen to me and go, you know what? Me too. Yeah, you know what? Me too. I think I think part of the reason why I I connect with people so well is that 
I am the first to be open and honest about myself. And I'm also the first to call you out if you need to be called out. And, you know, that's not a great way to make friends. <laughs> you know, it's not. But it comes from a place of love, people. You know, and a lot of my outlook on this stuff, a lot of my belief in, my, in this stuff and belief in myself comes from the military. And, you know, talk about being emotional. I'm about to play you a clip by Jocko Willink. And if you guys don't know who Jocko is, he was a Navy SEAL who dreamt about being a commando as a kid all his life. All he ever wanted to do was be a commando in the military. He ended up uh, going through BUDS and, uh, you know, becoming a Navy SEAL. And he talks about that in this clip. And he almost gets choked up at one point where because you can see it, you can feel it. He honestly, deep down at his core, believes in his heart what he is saying. He has developed his capacity for love. And I know that might sound weird to most of you people. Oh, this is a big, tough, ooh, you know, rugged guy that just wants to go around the world doing missions and killing people. And he's probably all messed up mentally in the head, right? That's your, that's your opinion. That's your bullshit inner monologue that comes from a place of complete ignorance and lack of knowledge on the subject. So I'm going to enlighten you. Okay, Jocko wrote a book about discipline. I think it's called Discipline. He says, discipline equals freedom. I've said before on this podcast, freedom and responsibility are inseparable. You cannot have freedom without discipline. You cannot have freedom without responsibility, duty. You can't have it unless you swallow your pride, drop your ego, face hard truths, especially hard truths about yourself. And on the other side of that fear and vulnerability, people is Superman, Superwoman. I promise you. Here's Jocko. Listen to this man. Listen to what this guy says and take it to heart. This is important stuff. Life is short, people. Here we go. You feel like your life is going to last a long time. And if I was to talk to my 26-year-old self, I would tell that kid that you don't have time. And, and you really, you don't know when it's gonna end. And so, get out there and do the things you wanna do. Get out there and get after them now. Don't wait another second. Take advantage of it. Get out there and live. And strive to be better. Because the life you've got, which I just said was a gift, it is a gift. So live it. Yeah, I, I always wanted to be a commando ever since I was a little kid. And I 
heard that the seals were really tough and that the training was really tough. And then, you know, once you get in, everyone makes a big deal out of buds that's, but it's, it's in the seal teams, it's no big deal. Everyone goes through it. It's, you get cold, you get wet, whatever. You do a bunch of push-ups and pull-ups and dips. Anyone that gets to the SEAL teams and does deployments overseas and has a real career, they're not talking about BUDS training. Okay. <laughs> it, just mean, it just doesn't mean it. I had a guy that was, you know, a NCAA water polo team captain champion, and he quit. And I had a guy that was an Olympic alternate gymnast, and he quit. Just because someone's a good physical athlete, it doesn't mean that they're a good SEAL. Because being a good SEAL is a lot more than just being a good athlete. Being a good athlete is like the baseline. And it's everything that you learn to do after that. A, a good leader, a guy that's tactically sound, a guy that makes good decisions, a guy that's good under pressure, a guy that doesn't ever give up on trying to accomplish a mission. Those are the things that make a good SEAL. So you're always learning and growing, and, and I was always learning until the day I retired. Because it's not a boom, this happened and everything changed. It's, it's a constant addition of skill set and repetition of situations where you become competent at your job. The fear of getting shot or killed is not on your mind when you're in the moment. You know, it'll build up when you're waiting to go out. You know, there's times you're waiting to go out and you're like, thinking to yourself, okay, there's a lot of bad things going on out there and some of them could happen to me. But I think at some point you, you realize that there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, other than just quit and, and just resign yourself to a life of cowardice. But if you opt to not do that and you step up and say, okay, I'm ready. And if I die, I die. And once you overcome that, then nothing else to be afraid of. Man, I mean, Jocko gives me chills, man, that guy. You know, um, can, people, can you hear the humility in his voice? Can, can you hear the honest self-reflection? Big Jocko Willink talking about, you know, if I could go talk to my 26-year-old self or whatever, I'd say, you know, you don't have time. And he gets choked up about it. You know, and, you know, he says, you know, unless you're going to resign yourself to a life of cowardice, you know, be my guest. But, you know, you have a choice. You can also say, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to destroy my ego. I'm ready to have humility. Like, remember Alexander uh, Solzhenitsyn in his prison? He says, you know, uh, I discovered uh, good by not having the the ego, uh, you know, young person successes that uh, corrupted him and made him cruel. Mark Twain has a quote. A man who lives fully 
is prepared to die at any time. Quote, unquote. You want to resign yourself to a life of cowardice? You want to be the guy or the gal that just gives up? Someone talks shit to you? You know, you're really excited about, oh, hey, I want to be a good singer. I want to be a good dancer. I want to be, you know, a doctor, a lawyer. I want to do good in class. I want people to like me, right? And then as soon as someone shows you that they don't like you, you just dissolve and retreat back into your comfortable safe zones. Your dreams are on the other side of that fear, people. You know, remember in the the Ronald Reagan speech? You know, if nothing's worth dying for, people, when did this begin? What do you got, people? Do you want to see what you got? Do you even care? I've said it before. Life is short, people. You don't have time. Do you know, people, I'm... I'm going to be 43 years old this year. I feel like I'm running out of time more so than I have ever felt in my entire life. There's still so much I want to do. And at some point, you're going to start, like I said, you're going to start having to have difficult conversations, even with yourself, about, hey, you know, realistically speaking, I'm not going to get all this stuff done that I wanted to get done, that I dreamt about doing right? The price of being lazy and afraid and being a procrastinator and never getting anything off the ground, never attempting, never trying is regret, people. That's how you regret things at the end of your life, laying on your deathbed, saying to yourself while you're staring at the ceiling, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done that. I wish I would have been more courageous. I wish I wouldn't have been so afraid of everything. Paralyzed, crippled with worrying about what other people think. Worrying about frivolous things that make absolutely no difference to the outcome. Here's a Bertrand Russell quote for you. Quote, fear is the main source of superstition. I will repeat that. Fear is the main source of superstition. Think about that deeply, people. Think about what that phrase means, okay? Fear is the main source of superstition and one of the main sources of cruelty. I think Alexander Solzhenitsyn would agree. To conquer fear is the beginning of wisdom in the pursuit of truth as in the endeavor after a worthy manner of life. Unquote. Bertrand Russell. People, life is short. You better live now. Especially in a world, in a country where they have COVID lockdowns now. 
trying to keep you within four walls, a floor and a roof. Just give up. Just be afraid. Don't worry. The government is here to take care of you. We're going to keep you safe. All you got to do is give up your liberty. All you got to do is give up your freedom, your privacy, your money, your available options of growing as a person, becoming financially stable, and being financially independent of needing to work for other people. In a country where you still have the ability, it's getting harder every day, but in a country where you still have the ability to bust your ass, drink your own Kool-Aid, and build your own empire. Stop making excuses. The next clip I want to play for you people is by Denzel Washington. This is the speech he gave when he won the Image Award. uh, An Image Award, rather. And he talks about a lot of other uh, African-American producers, actors. You're going to hear his whole bit here. It's coming up soon. And, you know, he's telling. He's telling uh, the people that are listening to his words. I think he's speaking probably specifically to African-Americans in this clip. And he says, you know, we'll see you at work. You know, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Here we go. Denzel, in his own words. Thank you very much. I am particularly proud and happy about the young filmmakers, actors, singers, writers, producers that are coming up behind my generation. In particular, Barry Jenkins. Young people understand, this young man made 10, 15, 20 short films before he got the opportunity to make Moonlight. So never give up. Without commitment, you'll never start. But more importantly, without consistency, you'll never finish. It's not easy. If it was easy, there'd be no Kerry Washington. If it was easy, there'd be no Taraji Henson. If it were easy, there'd be no Octavia Spencer. But not only that, if it were easy, there'd be no Viola Davis. If it were easy, there'd be no Michael T. Williamson, no Stephen McKinley Henderson, no Russell Hornsby. If it were easy, there'd be no Denzel Washington. So keep working. Keep striving, never give up, fall down seven times, get up eight. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. So keep moving, keep growing, keep learning. See you at work. A greater threat to progress than hardship. 
know what that reminds me of? Remember the tyranny of convenience I was talking about in a previous podcast? I was trying to make the argument that maybe not everything should be so convenient. Participation trophies? Very convenient to just, oh, hey, let's just tell the kid he won something. Here, you participated. That's all you have to do in life to be successful, right? Hooray, Timmy wins a participation trophy. Guess what? That's a shitty way to set up a child for the real world, people. That's, it's, that's almost child abuse, in my opinion. You don't win trophies for showing up. You win trophies for being the best. You win trophies for working the hardest. Having the right attitude. Checking your ego. Being a part of something bigger than yourself. Being a team player. Knowing restraint, knowing sacrifice, knowing honor, courage, commitment, virtue, responsibility. These are the things that separate the good from the great. There's a lot of wasted talent in this world. And the only thing preventing that wasted talent from realizing their dreams, its dreams, whatever, is probably laziness, ego, uh, you know, be feeling holier than thou, feeling that the rules don't apply to you, feeling that you can run away from consequences and responsibilities, being willing to sell your friends and family down the river so that you don't have to face those consequences and responsibilities? Is that the kind of person you want to be? You want to be the corrupt, uh, you know, rich business guy, buddies of the politicians, willing to screw over people just so you can, you know, increase the assets on your balance sheet? Are you, are you going to go to your grave with all your stuff, people? Do you want to feel good about who you are? Do you want to have the balls to try to make yourself be a better person? You can't just say it and not believe it inside first, people. I've said it a million times. It has to start inside first. One of my favorite quotes is by the Dalai Lama. And um, I'm going to read it to you right now. Here we go. Uh, The Dalai Lama, when asked what surprised him the most about humanity, said, quote, Mankind humanity itself because man sacrifices his health in order to make money and then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health and then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present the result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he is never going to die. 
and then dies, having never really lived. Unquote. Um, uh, now, people, we're going to go to Motivation Boot Camp. I'm going to play you a long clip, and I know I'm asking you for a half hour. This clip is actually entitled 30 Minutes for the Next 30 Years of Your Life. This is, uh, the title has also been called 30 Minutes That Broke the Internet. David Goggins is a Navy SEAL. I'm sure you guys have heard of him before. Or he, or he, I'm sorry. He's a ridiculously ultra-marathon running motivational... Um, the, the epitome of self-reflection. Of self-reflection. Uh, breaking one down to the most bare of brass tacks, whatever. Bare roots, bare minimum. And then rebuilding you. And, and being, like, how many times have I said it? It sounds so cliche. Being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Living in discomfort. And honing your mind in those difficult situations. And there is no one better to describe the ultimate in motivation and self-reflection and intellectual honesty than David Goggins. Nobody does it better. So I'm asking you people, my listeners, here we go. 30 minutes of David David Goggins screaming truth, reality, and we're not going to have any bullshit excuses. This is it. You want to find enlightenment? You want to find absolute truth? You want to find out what it takes to be the best version of yourself? He's about to tell you. So here we go, people. David Goggins. Extreme motivation. He's going to say a lot of stuff. He's going to agree with the esoteric philosophies in this. You're going to hear it. He's going to say, you know, birth is an accident, but there's a second birth. And that birth comes from never giving up, never stopping, never allowing malevolence and cruelty and evil into your heart. And stopping at nothing to make every day, make yourself better than you were the day before. Without further ado, the man himself, David Goggins. I put every Navy still on a pedestal. It's easy to do. It's easy to do. You read the books about them, you see movies about them superhuman but what happens is once you drop your own limitations and you so one thing we do bad in life is we put all these people above you never put anybody above you man make it an even playing field but you can't make it an even playing field if you're not working your fucking ass off i'm not saying not to respect people you gotta respect people but if you're playing tennis right now there's tennis going on here in queens if you're playing tennis and you're playing Roger Federer, even Roger Federer is not here right now, but let's say you're playing Roger, Roger, best ever, arguably best ever. But I'm fucking good at tennis. But Roger's the best ever. That's in my fucking head. And we're playing a five-set match, Grand Slam. Before Roger serves the ball, the 
First serve of the game. First serve. Set one, game one, first serve. In your mind, you're thinking, man, that's the best fucking person in the world to serve. This is how I thought about Navy SEALs. So what happens is, two sets fly by. Roger fucking smokes you, 6060. Or 6061. You're like, wow, man. I can play with this motherfucker. But by the time you realize you can play with Roger Federer, it's too late. It's too late. So that's what I mean by that. Don't go into any competition of life, physical, mental, emotional, whatever it may be, too late. You gotta try so hard. Know that, know that you've worked hard, hard as fuck, to be on an even playing field. So I did that. So once I did that, your eyes open up. So, I, so now you don't see Roger Federer as Roger Federer. You see him as a fucking tennis player. So now you're competing on the first serve. So you give yourself a chance to win. So when I went to Navy SEAL training after my first hell week, second hell week, third hell week, I said, man, I can compete with these guys. Not only compete with them, I'm gonna go another level. Because I started seeing, I put these guys and a lot of people on a pedestal. But it also hurt me. It hurt me too. Because when you put people on a pedestal, you expect people to be at a certain level. So I was living off of, wow, all these mythologies of what a special forces guy is. You get up, you don't sleep, you run on broken legs, you know, you, I'm just like, you know, I really fed into all that shit, man. So it actually helped make me who I am. But I started looking around, seeing, man, these are really a lot of normal fucking guys. And that disappointed me, but it shouldn't have. My expectations were of myself. I was grouping everybody. So that's where I realized being uncommon amongst uncommon it's really about yourself. It's you against yourself. It's not you against them. But it kind of, it sounds like that because really, these guys are uncommon. Once you become a Navy SEAL or whatever you become, a big CEO, you're now common again. So everybody looks at these guys as uncommon. But once you become one, we're all guys again. We're all in the same group of guys. We're all in the same fraternity. So how do you separate yourself from the best? Talk about the repetition in my book a lot. Yeah. Gotta get the reps in. So now my conversation is this. I never set out to write a book. When I was in the dungeon and no one was coming back to help me, I just wanted that reflection in that accountability mirror that I hated so badly to be something that gave me pride. To be something that made me feel. It wasn't about, it's not about money. It's not about success. It's not about people. Oh my God, that's David Goggins. Sign my book. No. When I started this journey out years ago, it's about, I just want to learn to read. So now I'm at a place wow. now where I see the possibilities of the human, of human potential. What are we capable of is the conversation now. The conversation now is how can I now talk to people in a way they can understand the message that I have for so many people. So that's the, that's the new conversation now is that I, you are constantly evolving. You never stay, either you're getting better or you're getting worse, not staying the same. So for me, I have to constantly be getting better. I have to constantly be evolving my message. So I'm constantly thinking, 
in the quietness of my mind. That's that's a key point too. The world is so fast paced. The world is so noisy. So my conversation now a lot of times is, my God, slow down. The world can take you here, here, be here, be there, be everywhere. And I lose myself sometimes. So I catch myself in the airport. I catch myself in the plane while I'm writing stuff down. Okay, remember this, remember that. And I'm like, hey, hang on a second. What, what got you here? This isn't what got you here. Slow the fuck down. Go back to the quiet place of that dirty mirror in that $7 a month place you used to live in. That's where you grew. You So I so that's what I'm, I'm constantly reminding myself, well, go back to your roots. Now, I'm not saying go back to hell. But I'm saying don't forget where you come from as you start to explode out of the gate when you become someone. My conversation is do not forget your roots. Do not forget your roots. Don't let this become so big that you lose yourself amongst the noise. Go back to the quietness of what made you successful. That's the conversation now. It's a constant reminder of that. That's where you find yourself. You find yourself when you are the when you're not comfortable. You're not comfortable on a daily basis. And that's how I started to grow. Like I said about the mind, it wants to put you in that nice 72 degree temperature with, with everything right there. It wants to be in that nice little massage therapist. That's where your mind wants to be. It doesn't want to be, so we're going to talk about Hell Week. So it doesn't want to be in Hell Week. In Hell Week, I, I was in three of them. I finished two of them in one year. Only person to ever do that in still history. There's been people who, you know, who have gone through a couple of hell weeks, but in like five years, six years, seven years, eight years. I did, I was in three in one year. They say it takes off three to five years of your life. So hell week is 130 hours of continuous training. You might get two hours of sleep. And what it does is, it's designed to break a man. To break a man down to the parts where, like I talk about the surface, how is fixing the surface? If you only fix the surface, you will never get the help. Because what it does, it starts to bring out these demons. Because even though there's a lot of yelling and stuff like that, there's times where it's very peaceful in a very eerie way. So the first hour of the 130 is breakout. The shooting guns, it's loud, it's noisy, your mind is in chaos. When your mind's in chaos, you can't think. So you're having fun. Yeah, this is great. Yeah, we're in hell week for Navy SEALs or trying to be Navy SEALs or badasses. Then what they do, and I don't even think that they understand what they're doing, but I studied the mind. It's perfect. It's psychological warfare. They go from an hour, the first hour, when you're going crazy. The second hour of the 130, they put you in the cold water. It's called surf torture. Now they don't call it surf torture because it's a kinder, gentle word. It's called surf acclimation. Put you out there. No one's quick. It's only been an hour. Maybe a couple of guys have. And you're in the Pacific Ocean, which is never warm. You're all linked arms. You're sitting there and the waves are crashing over you. I went through winter hell weeks, which is cold. The Pacific Ocean is like 50 degrees. It was 49 this particular night in my third hell week. And what it does is it makes your mind flip out. 
We've been doing this now for three weeks, being in this water. But for some reason now, the water is colder than it's ever been. It's not. Our minds are fragile. We can process a day. It's hard to process 130 hours. There's no end. There's no end. So the mind starts to ramp up. So you're sitting there, it's quiet. No one's yelling at you. hear the ocean. And you're freezing. And your mind goes spastic starts to think, I'm another 129 hours. You're not going home, you're getting yelled at, you're going to be frozen. So you panic, you freak out, and you want to quit. What I realized about the mind is those people who can be in that time and embrace that time and be in that moment and not allow the mind to go to 129 hours on hour one. It's the control that we don't have in our minds. It's a chore that you had to have for three months when you're miserable, when you're suffering, when you're laying on the floor, when you're doing all the disciplines it takes to be a monk. You cannot think about the whole process. It will make you, it, it, will, it will make you so insanely crazy. It's impossible. It's inhumane what I'm about to do to myself. You have to be able to break all these big, humongous, painful things in life down to the smallest molecule. That's all the brain can handle. The brain can't handle hours and hours and hours of suffering. But it can handle right now. I'm in the Pacific Ocean. And it's very cold. And this is what I'm doing. Don't think about the rest of it. So that's what I learned from Hell Week. That's what I learned from being in three Hell Weeks. That's what I learned from all the military. I went to Ranger School. I went to all these different schools to learn all of that. To learn how the mind processes. So... I, I talk about theorists, I talk about practitioners. A theorist is a person who reads a book, doesn't do it, reads a book, learns about something, and then talks about it. A practitioner is myself. A practitioner is a person like me. I wanted to be an expert in the mind. A mental toughness guy, beyond mental toughness. The only way to do that in my eyes is to put yourself in hell. Put in hell, repeatedly. Repeatedly put yourself in hell and study how you processing and that's how I was able to come up with all these different ways all these different tools to, to slow the mind down in hell because the mind just speeds up the mind wants to get out of the painful situation the suffering it can't it can't process it so that's what I realized by going through all these different processes of being in hell weeks uh, there, there's sometimes where the mind gets overwhelmed and you cannot slow it down. But by these, these certain tools I developed, by now allowing your mind to get away from the moment. You cannot, you have to think about the exact moment that you're in. But I saw when I was younger, the moment became too big. When it became too big, I spazzed out and I would quit. But now I don't think about even like an hour from now, I'll be eating. I don't even go there. Because then your mind, yeah, oh. No, we must embrace this because now there's, you have to be a leader in this moment. Not about you just getting through it. I had six guys, I had five guys, and six including me, in my boat crew. Now as the boat crew leader. So now, another trick is this. If you don't think about yourself, there's no pain. Which can also lead to pain later on in your life. But in these moments when you're struggling, if you are a true leader, and you're worried about your men or women beside you, your mind doesn't care how cold you are. 
You must only worry about taking care of the men and women beside you. So I started realizing, man, if I take care of these cats and I let them right in the worst moments, my mind is no longer thinking about, you're miserable, David Goggins. Get the hell out of here. You think about, how is John? How is Andy? How is Sam? How is Pete? How, hey, how are you guys doing? You're not thinking about me. So there's so many things you can do to get outside your own head to then allow your body to just be like, hey, we're just a machine. But you have to let your mind be able to process all these different tactics. Do that. Take a different vantage point in life. When you are in the hell, you can't see the beauty of being in it when you're in it. Get on top of that mountaintop in your mind. Get on top of that mountaintop and look down at what you're doing. You can see a whole different world, and that world is beautiful. But you gotta get a different vantage point in this in the suck. Don't be in it. Spiritually, get out of it. Get that soul. Look down on what you're doing. Be amazed by the process of where you're at now and where you came from. And I looked at my shit was this is the perfect training ground to being a man. Mm. You know, a lot of people, like I was talking about taking the path of least resistance. I believe in life you must earn the right to be called a man. And a lot of people do not think the way I do, and that's fine. I'm not asking to be David Goggins. Trust me, it's a hard fucking road to home. It's not <laughs> fun. Like it. It's not fun all the time. But the thing about it is, you have to look. I, I looked at my hardships as challenges. Once I got over the pity party, because I went through that phase. Of course. I'm a normal human being. But I realized that that got me exactly where I was at, even worse. As I looked at those challenges the way most people do, woe is me. Why the fuck can't I get a break? Why, I wish I was better. I wish my parents were better. I wish I had a better education. I wish this, I wish that. They have all these wish sandwiches. I started realizing, how can I fucking figure out how this shit can fucking work for me? So the one thing we don't do is we don't, when we're in that dark place, that dark place is a great learning environment. If you can sit back in a dark place and find quiet, to just think. There's so much power in your failures, in your fucking, in, in your suffering. Because why? You're still alive. You're still fucking here. So you gotta look at that shit as my God, man, this is power, man. Like, now I gotta flip this shit. How many men will be able to do what I'm about to do, what I'm about to try to do? Like, literally, what gave me strength was when I was at the worst of my worst, how many men would even fucking say they wanna try to be a Navy SEAL right now? I'm at the worst spot of my life. Like, I can't even walk down the street, let alone run down the street. And I'm gonna now call a recruiter up and try to be a SEAL. There's a lot of power in that. But people don't see it that way. They see it, man, that's stupid. I had this voice in the back of my head that I kept on running from. I was afraid of the water. I was afraid of dealing with things that made me feel unaccepted. Mm. I didn't accept myself. So I kept on going towards things that I felt good. Let me, let me go this way, but something kept on saying, motherfucker, you, you have it, man. You got it, man, but you're gonna have to fail a lot, but you have it. And like I said, that, that voice kept on haunting, but that voice kept on saying, if you face it, you realize it's not that bad. I said, I'm tired of feeling the way I feel every day. I'm tired of how I feel, I'm tired of lying to myself, lying to people and just being some piece of shit. And I always knew in the back of my mind I could be something special, but I knew the work 
it was going to take was going to kill me. Mm. I was afraid of that. Mm. I was afraid of the brutality and the suffering I was going to have to endure. Mm -hmm. But I knew, I knew I could do something. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I ain't trying to do that kind of work, man. What got me to this point was I was just the opposite of what I am today. I was that guy who ran away from absolutely everything that I got in front of me. But not many people knew that. Like the real me was like this very scared, insecure, stuttering, got beat up by his dad, all this kind of stuff. First of all, you have to start your journey. And many of us think because we're born into this world that we have started our journey. It's not it, man. That's not it, it's not that simple. I wish it was that simple. Many people have died and lived to be 100 fucking years old and never started their journey. That journey starts when you start to meet yourself at that battle. When you start to battle yourself and start to break down those walls that you in society start to build in your own mind. Once you start to break down those walls, you've now started your journey. Mm -hmm. Your journey has to be hard at first. I couldn't run. The first thing about it was, so I said to myself, I'm gonna run four miles. My first run out the gate, I'm gonna run four miles. I ran a mile, I, I ran a quarter of a mile, walked home, sat on the couch depressed. I said, man, there's no way I can do this. But what, what I realized though, is I wasn't gonna give up. Cause I've already given up a many times. And I thought about how would I feel at 50 years old if I gave up now? I mean, not to have, you know, so I kept all this stuff in my mind. Basically, I started becoming obsessed. I slowly, it didn't happen that night on the couch. Right. Over a period of time, I started becoming obsessed with studying, with weight, with being somebody, with making people who thought it was gonna be nothing, kind of like, feel like shit. I became obsessed with, you have to make this right. And the only person you could do is yourself. So I became obsessed with just being obsessed. The reason why we go back to old habits is because our goals are too lofty. We're not achieving our goals fast enough. So what happens is, you know what, oh man, we're very impatient nowadays. For me, it was good. I didn't have a phone. I was, I was, I was out of this world by myself. It was a race against David Goggins. It wasn't a race against, God, I don't look good for this person or that person. It was me. I got to change myself. So for me, if I lost five pounds in a week, I got a feeling, I allowed myself to feel proud of that. I didn't look, I got to lose 106 pounds. I'm like, man, I went from 297, now I'm 292. In one week, man, I'm, I'm killing it. We don't, we're not proud of ourselves for the small accomplishments. What we need is we need this monstrosity of the thing to happen and say, ah, I did it. Nah, there's a process that you have to go through and patience is the process. And if you don't have patience, after a week, I haven't lost 30 pounds and I'm done, I'm over it. So that's what I found out with people, man. They're not patient enough to realize and to enjoy the moment, not live in it, just enjoy it. There's no finish line in life, but enjoy that moment. Roger that, man, I lost five. Let me go 10 next week. So that's the whole thing about it. That's how people lose it. It starts with yourself, man. You gotta start diving into those things that you are afraid of. You don't gain confidence by going to the spot that makes you feel good. 
It's going to be a false reality. And the second life gives you that challenge. All you want to do is go back to what made you confidence or, 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 or what gave you confidence is that happy spot. No, what gives you confidence, what gave me confidence was spending years at a kitchen table trying to learn how to read and write on my own, realizing I can't learn the way you learn. I can't, but I can learn. What gives you confidence, not being afraid, is overcoming the fear. I used to stutter severely bad. So right now, I don't know how many people are gonna watch this. You know what gives me confidence? Is knowing I no longer care <laughs> if I sit and start stuttering to you. Yeah. That's what gives me confidence, is facing these things, overcoming them. And maybe not overcoming them every day, but facing them, and facing them, and facing them pretty soon like this. You know what, man, this is where it's at. It's not in that comfort zone. It's in the discomfort zone is where my confidence is getting built. Mm -hmm. That's where it's getting built. But people want to, they want an easier answer. Yeah. There has to be an easier way. There's not. I'm sorry. I searched for it my entire life. <laughs> you cheated. I did. You lied. I lied. I did everything. And I still felt empty. Mm -hmm. I coach a lot of people nowadays, billionaires, who call me on the phone and say, man, I'm still missing something. It's because they did what they were good at. And they had this beautiful family, two, three houses, cars, everything. Has everything in the world. On the outside looking in, like, my God, man, how can you be unhappy? I walk around with a backpack with all my stuff in it, right, and no right, car. Right. And I walk around, happiest person in the world. Have nothing. Happy as hell. It's because I found out the whole key to life. It's not in all that have to face yourself. So many people live to be 100 years old and they die miserable having everything because they never examined. I call it my live autopsy. Mm. You never examine this. Happiness, peace, enlightenment, it's all up here, man. It's all up here. If I start talking like this, people go, man, you know, I don't know. It's the truth, man. Yeah, it is true. It's yeah. all up here. You just gotta be willing to go and face it. And that's the hard part. Uh, I saw a rocky train in the movie, but I see what I went through in real life. That, that movie's a fraction. That, all those movies I watched that inspired me, they're all fractions of the real work I put into my life. And I don't ever talk about it enough. The amount of work I put into being who I am I don't have enough time in the fucking day. Like, I don't talk about it. I don't, I don't brag about it. it. No one even knows about it. Like, 99.9% .9 of the shit I did to get to where I'm at today was alone. Mm. Alone. Out there running in cold, in heat, suffering in pools, trying to swim. At home in a fucking room by myself, trying to teach myself how to read and write, how to study. You know, no one saw that shit. There was no video camera, there was no podcast, there was no Who's David Goggins. It was me, I just, just for me trying to get in the military, which everybody can do, it's easy. Just trying to learn how to read and write was something that blows Rocky away. So all these different challenges that I've been through in my life, I've, I've easily, you know, I don't, I don't look at that movie the same way, 
because I'm, I'm, I'm proud of what I created, but I'm more proud of I created without an audience, without a cheering squad, without someone like, you know, like you run the Boston Marathon and people love that race. They run so fast because for 26.2 miles, there's a motherfucker just, come on, man, you got it, you can do it. You know who you are when there's no motherfucker out there when you're running. And you're at mile 75, 150 mile race, and nobody cheering for you. You're broken, you're fucking defeated. It's you and you alone in your fucking head. And I stayed that way for the better part of 30 fucking years. Trying to figure this shit out. And once you figure it out, you look at your, everybody say, hey, so you're all broken now. You know, is that how you want to be? Yep. If you can feel, if I could put my brain in your fucking head, you said the same fucking thing. You would no longer think I was fucking crazy. You no longer think I was sadistic. You realize, motherfucker, this guy found it. There has to be something so deep in you that drives you. So what, what really does it for me is I know what we're capable of. And I know that most human beings aren't willing to go where I am. And that's a very, very dangerous thing. I'm not saying I'm better than anybody else. Everybody has this talent. It's not a talent. It's just realizing that we stop way short of our true potential. So through my life, I realize these things. And I know what gives me fuel is I know that most people who are blessed with so much talent, great parents, great upbringing, didn't come from where I come from. They're gonna quit before me. Having all the tools that they have they didn't have the ability to examine themselves. When you have everything so nice in life, it's, it's great to have a great life. But what happens is you don't self-examine. You don't do a live autopsy. When you have a fucked up life, it almost forces you to do a live autopsy. It forces you to find strength from places that no one looks from. Because food is not at the ready. You know, you're me, I have a learning disability. It's not at the ready. I can't just pick up a book and start reading. Right, right. There's, there's preparation behind everything I fucking do. There's, there's, everything I do has to come with so much fucking preparation. It's despicable, it makes me sick. My own personal life makes me sick. That's why I'm so disciplined now. Without my self-discipline, there is no David Goggins. Mm. Like, I can't like stop reading. I won't be able to read tomorrow. It will, I will lose it that fast. You know, I you know I cannot stop going to the gym. My mind is set up in a spot where, hey, the second I stop, it wants to stop. Because I had a quitting mind growing up. When you get beat the shit out of you all the time, your mind wants to go to that nice spot where you're comforted, where you're not trying, where shit is easy. That's where your mind, it doesn't want to think. You have all these things in the mind and, and the mind can only absorb so much shit. So all the pain that has to go through, it, just, it wants to push it away and say, let's not do that. So every day I'm fighting where the mind wants to go. So it's a, it's a, it's a, constant, it's a constant evolution, man. Fear in life is if there is a final resting place in this world and there's a final judgment and you talk to something much bigger than you. I don't want to sit down and have a conversation with someone, with something that says, you're in heaven, this is what you should have been on earth. And are you really in heaven now or are you in hell? 
thinking about how much I left on the table for fear for not willing to go over the wall and over the next wall and over the next wall so in my mind I believe that and God knows all at least I believe that I want God to be up there right now as we're speaking writing stuff down saying my God he exceeded even my expectations that's how I live my life I now know that there is no cap on the human mind there's no cap we cap it ourselves some of us are going through fucking hell maybe not as bad as me maybe worse than me sure but they don't know how to express it because we're supposed to live in a fucking world where we have to talk a certain way we have to walk a certain way we have to act a certain way a kinder gentler world nothing gets handled in that fucking world you stay fucked up in that world you stay in a world of things will get better because someone said they would and i need to find peace no you need to go to fucking war with yourself man at the end of that fucking war you'll sit back all damaged and bruised and scarred up and fucked up and maybe your soul has muscles so tight that you may lose two inches on your fucking body who knows but then that fucking war you're gonna sit back on the couch Maybe have a fucking glass of water. If you drink a beer, you drink a beer. The war may be 30 fucking years. But when it ends, you will know what the fuck it's all about then. And then you'll find your fucking peace. You'll find your fucking peace then. But until then, you'll always be searching to find that nice, kind book that guides you beyond all your personal suffering and shit. That miracles your fucking ass to peace. <laughs> it doesn't happen, man. Maybe it does for some people, but you're just scratching the surface of real life. You did it. You made it through 30 minutes of Goggins screaming in your face, telling you what it took for him to, to reach the top of the top of the top of the top in endurance and mental toughness and destroying yourself in pursuit of absolute truth. Maybe there is something to these esoteric philosophies, people. Maybe they're secret and only a select few people get invited in because not everybody can do it, people. Are you, in fact, cut from a finer cloth than the rest of your fellow human beings? And if so, prove it. Prove it to yourself. And then by proving it to yourself, you will prove it to others. But if you fake it, everybody knows. And you end up just being one more part of the problem, the evil in this world. This is just my opinion. I'm, I'm going a little bit deep after Goggins just takes me there. I, I, you know, like I said, people, I've been there. I've been in very difficult situations in my day. I have been very driven and motivated. And, you know, anyone that served in the military has honed their mind and has been able to make through, make it through not only the physical but the mental. Uh, anyone who's ever been in the military will tell you that it's 80% mental and 20% physical. Some people might even tell you that it's 90% mental and 10% physical. However you want to describe it, whatever terms, cliches, catchphrases, 
repetitive slogans, whatever you got to do, people, whatever you got to do to stay the course. The price of freedom is eternal vigilance. Those founders that founded this nation were not fools. And the martyrs of this world were not fools, like, like Ronald Reagan told you. There are things worth dying for. And you only know that when you start deciding what living really is. Not what your TV tells you what living is. Not, not, you, not, your, not your deadbeat, idiot, loser friends who always criticize you anytime you dream big. We've all had them. If you're doing anything right in this world, Cat, uh, Kevin Hart once said, you know, or maybe it was Cat Williams, I forget. But if you got haters, you're probably doing something right. Because the lazy, unmotivated, uneducated, piece of shit human beings that walk this earth with us, amongst us, are always going to be there to hate, are always going to be there to tear you down, tear apart your ideas with no logic or rational th thought. All emotion, all victim, all woe is me. Threatened to be in the presence of somebody who dares to be better, who dares to strive to be better tomorrow than they were today. And that's their mindset every single day of their life. You want to take the road you know? Or do you want to take the road unknown? I'll take the road unknown and meet you there, people. At the end of time, we are frequency. We are tragedy. We are the love we need to keep us here. Jason Cruz, strung out, one of my favorite lines in any song ever. Can you tell? I've only said it like four times on four different episodes now. <laughs> I hope I pumped you guys up, people. I hope I pumped you up. Thanks for listening. Here we go. One more awesome piece. You know what, baby? Snoop Dogg wants to thank him. And you know what? I agree, man. I want to thank me. Goggins just told you guys, you know, hey, you can be proud of your accomplishments. You can be proud when you reach the next plateau and then the next one and then the next one. Sooner or later, those plateaus don't become plateaus. It's a straight line. You're, it's a straight climb to the top. I, I believe David Goggins would agree. And you know who else agrees? Snoop Dogg, people. Check this out. Here's Snoop with his little, with his little bit. You know what, baby? I want to thank me. I want to thank me. <laughs> I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for, for never quitting. I want to thank me for always being a giver and trying to give more than I receive. I want to thank me for trying to do more right than wrong. I want to thank me for just being me at all times. This has been episode 35 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. 
I hope I pumped you guys up. I hope I motivated you. I hope I gave you a snapshot of what it takes. Multiple people. Successful, hardworking, determined, intelligent, motivated, etc., 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 people who all agree. Everyone agrees. There's only one way. There's only one path. It's you versus you. It's you against yourself. And if you can defeat that, if you can beat you, if you can defeat yourself, there is there is no there is no freedom like that feeling. <laughs> I can assure you. Thanks for listening. I am Andrew for America. This has been episode 35 of the Politics and Punk Rock podcast. I hope I pumped you up. Um, today I'm actually going to play a song that I think themes up with this episode quite nicely. This is one of my originals. I didn't play this in any band yet. This is just one of my original songs. I hope you guys like it. You guys probably might not love the quality. Um, but the lyrics are the, really the most important thing. And I don't know, maybe you guys will like it, maybe not. Uh, we'll see. So here we go. This is a song I wrote a while back called... Uh, on the shelf and I hope you like it here we go
Cataclysm's on the way. Guess there's nothing left to say. We still can't figure out we're all the same. Unified by common goal. In a world bought and sold. The spirit is alive and on the way. Everybody's waking up. We're learning from our own mistakes. And now it won't be long in a world where no one ever gives a fuck about a thing. We're gonna have to do this by ourselves. I have never had the chance to run away from all my problems. Can't you see? I've been living in this world all by myself, yet at the expense of everyone else. We're the righteous, redefining sin. We get up and we fall back down, then get up again. There's no hope for the future or yourself when you've got your morals on the shelf. And now the dream has gone away, and someone's got to pay. I can't believe that things turned out this way. We were left out in the rain. I ain't gonna complain. I'm just gonna create a little change. So hey man, what you gonna do? You gonna just stand against the wall? I think you should come with me. In a world where no one ever gives a fuck about a thing, we're going to have to do this by ourselves. I have never had the chance to run away from all my problems. Can't you see? I've been living in this world all by myself and at the expense of everyone else. We're the prisoners of Uncle Sam. We pay our taxes to fund the quest of greedy men who provide us with the ways we please ourselves. Just gotta keep our morals on the shelf. This has been episode 35 of the Politics and Punk Rock Podcast. I hope you liked that original song by yours truly. I love you guys. Thank you. Good night, and we'll see you next time.